Flourishing Education, the podcast where I share the powerful, imperfectly perfect conversations with disruptors of the education system in the UK and beyond. I would really like to encourage you to take a listen and see what's possible as I ask the question, how can we change the way we educate and parent our children and young people so that they can truly become flourishing, curious, lifelong learners and young adults. I hope you enjoy these episodes as much as I've enjoyed recording them and creating them. Please do not hesitate to connect with me on LinkedIn, Fabian Vales, and or, and or on Twitter at FlourishingHG. And please let me know what's your favourite episode or favourite part of the podcast. I look forward to hearing from you and in the meantime I truly hope you are thriving and flourishing. Wishing you a fabulous day wherever you are in the world. Hello and welcome to another powerful, imperfectly perfect conversation for the Flourishing Education podcast. Today I'm excited to be speaking to Rachel Musson, who's uh, the director of Thoughtbox. She's also a sustainability educator and a systems thinker. A very warm welcome to the podcast, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me here. It's lovely to be with you. Yes, wonderful. And again, for the listeners, uh, as very often, I have already connected with Rachel. We had a previous conversation. And if it's anything to go by the conversation we've had, I think you're in for a treat in terms of her amazing work. So to get started, Rachel, would you tell uh, me, us, like the listeners, um, a little bit more about you so where you based and you know how you got to creating Thoughtbox. Thank you Fabian. Um, yeah so right now I am in Totnes in Devon. It's a it's a beautiful very quirky very nourishing little town. Some of you will know it. Um, some of you probably have been here um, and um, I guess how I got into this there's this particular moments of the journey I could I could reference. One would be a film <laughs> called Schooling the World, which quite significantly shifted my own journey in life. One would be um, Tanzania and the time I spent living out there and the deep learning and unlearning that form part of my own journey. Um, and one would just be the experience I had as a, as a teacher working in education um, for the best part of my adult life. So Tell me whether you want me to meander down any of those roads or where you would like that kind of question answered, because I can give you a short version. I can give you a, a long version. Yeah. So maybe we will we'll start with the first one, the film. What was so life changing about the film? Yeah. So I came across this this film called Schooling the World um, about 10 years ago now. And I was living out in Tanzania and I'd already left mainstream education to go on a bit of a journey to understand what a future um, of sustainable education looked like in, in practice. And this film was transformational for many ways, or well, many reasons. Firstly, in its, in its shortness, it's only an hour, an hour long, it documents the entire narrative of a global education system through the lens of colonialism, through the lens of cultural oppression, through the lens of a dictation of a Western narrative of what education should be, onto an entire kind of global system and the deep damage that has and is continuing to do. And what this film really helped me to deeply understand was how, um, how negative education can be, which is so at odds with the, with the global narrative of the power of education and the global narrative of the importance and value of education. And what um, that film really highlighted for me and what I was seeing on the ground from my own active research was that education in so many different cultures and contexts was ripping children away from what was innate, away from a very deeply contextual, nourishing, embedded education that was relevant to the life they were living, away from that into um, a model of education that was not relevant to that context, to that culture, to that community, and that was set up for failure. Um, an education that was not necessarily welcoming any of the deep gifts and, and wisdom that came from that particular community, but 
put everybody into the same factory model where we're being measured against uh, an economic version of success. Um, and what really struck me in this film was um, how so many children were coming out labeling themselves as in-between people. And it's a very powerful documentary. If you haven't seen it, it's free to access on um, um, Films for Action, I think it's on. Um, it, the children who are being labeled as in-between people because they were neither a success in the Western education system, nor did they then have any place in their own education space or in their own cultural context. They no longer learned the wisdom of the elders of their own communities, but they weren't successful in this in this education system of, of uh, sorry, educational economic progress because it wasn't relevant to where they lived. And actually what this was doing was perpetuating inequality, perpetuating economic um, inequality, perpetuating this, this sense of loss, the sense of disconnection. Um, and one of the things for me that was very significant to this film was Googling everybody that was involved in it and finding that they all had this connection to this magical sounding place called Schumacher College in, in Totnes in Devon. And when I looked up Schumacher College, I suddenly felt this joy of here is a place that is allowing education to be what it could be, that is really focusing on the ecological self, that's focusing on the wisdom traditions of our elders, that's focusing on a, an education for flourishing, not an education for competition. So I moved myself to Devon to spend time. I spent eight months at Schumacher working as a volunteer um, whilst I was working at, on Thoughtbox in the evening to just really learn and unlearn and connect with a global consortium of educators doing things differently. Um, so I put that film really as a significant marker in my own journey and as a really strong um, flavour of the sort of uncomfortableness that comes when you recognise that the stories we've told ourselves are not necessarily the right stories or the, the best stories for for flourishing yes and and you use the word that I use to describe my own journey so unlearning mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that uncomfortableness that I have experienced mm -hmm. so I would love you to talk to that perhaps as the next step because I I like every single fiber of my body resonates with what you just said in terms of this system that teaches us things and how I mean I don't know whether you'll relate but I really felt like um, a product of a Franco-British system I think the French system sadly is even more rigid than the British one in the sense that at least in Britain you can ask questions in France is you just have to follow the model mm -hmm. um, to the point that you can't home educate your child in France that's how strict it is wow. um, so this very stilted follow the model to having to unlearn right and it's easy mm -hmm. mm -hmm. so would you talk about your own journey yes and thank you for this 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 invitation because i think unlearning is one of the most significant powerful and um, revolutionary parts of all of our work in this time and it's really inconvenient um, and so I think, you know, when I started Thoughtbox, I used to call it the unlearning journey and then quickly realized that this this phrase is not going to get me very far in, in school. <laughs> but um, in a way, you know, unlearning is is is. No, where do we go from this? I think one of the biggest issues I find it, it, for so many of us in the world that we're living in and, and the, the challenges that we're facing is perhaps what can be seen as the perception gap that we have been taught for no fault of our own to see the world and to see our place in it in a particular narrative. And those stories are very strong and those stories are embedded across our, our media, our culture in, in Western, um, primarily Western cultures, in our, in our narrative of success, our narrative of worth. And this perception of what the world is all about is so flawed. It's so removed from a sense of... of um, of balance, a sense of, of, of wellness. They have um, come from various reasons through the Enlightenment period, through the agricultural industrial revolution, into this fast paced narrative of progress, success, extraction, pollution, consumption, and has allowed us to have a false sense of understanding of what life is all about. And for me to suddenly um, realize that the way I've been taught about what it means to be human and what success and what life is all about was just a story was 
hugely unsettling and hugely liberating at the same time because I suddenly realized oh if that's just a story that means there's other stories out there and maybe some of those other stories actually make me feel good because to be honest the story I've been told doesn't make me feel anything other than a failure or you know a, 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 comp a comp competitor in in life's worth and when I really started to understand that you know about 15-20 years ago I then had this great pleasure of looking at what other stories were out there, what other narratives existed about the meaning of life, the, 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 the meaning of flourishing, the meaning of success in, in inverted commas. And that was an invitation into a huge element of unlearning, of recognizing that I meandered down a road in my life that perhaps was not the right road. Um, and many of us were meandering down that road. And that road is only leading to more and more symptoms of distress on a personal, on a social, on an ecological level. And so if I actually stopped going that way and started meandering a different way, there was such opportunity for, um, for growth. Um, but that growth came through a, a putting down and a letting go of some of those narratives that I'd had in the past. I, I often come back to the word humility. Um, I think there's such grace in humility and in the ability to recognize that we've, we've done things wrong, that we've gone the wrong way and that that's okay. It's not, a, it's not a fault. We haven't done that necessarily intentionally, but what we can do is recognize we have gone the wrong way and be humble in that and learn from others and learn from wisdom. And I say a lot in my work, it's a sign of great wisdom to say, hey, you know what? I got it wrong. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to learn and relearn. But one of the things I think is so difficult, certainly in British culture and not just British culture, is to have that humility and to learn from others. And yet that is the grace of the work that I think this space needs. And it's so refreshing to be able to let go of things and, and unlearn them and relearn alternative narratives. So I think that that perception gap is so powerful. And, and the way I try and explore this with children is to, well, adults as well, is to think about glasses and to actually say, you know, all of us are born in the world wearing glasses. We don't know that we're wearing them sometimes, but we're born with cultural lenses. We're born with a lens on the world. And at some point you might then realize, oh, I actually have these glasses on, these invisible glasses. And do you know what? I can take them off and I can try on another pair of glasses and I can see the world through another lens. And I have the freedom to choose which of those lenses to wear. But it begins with recognizing I've got glasses on in the first place. And so I think that's the, the pleasure I find in this whole unlearning process. Yes, yeah, so it's like recognizing you're wearing glasses means that you're present enough in your body to notice that those yes. glasses are on your on your, on your face. face, right? Um, yeah. Which so so there's so much in what you've just given me that again I just sort of like would love to explore. So you were sort of saying you found yourself. Uh, going down you realize that you went down the wrong like the wrong path not a path you wanted to meander through a, a different path um, and that made me think of how often in our 40s as adults we have what we call the life crisis mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so suddenly people have meandered on this what you describe the success is status a good job a you know all those certificates I've put on my wall um you know it's that means I've got power authority status right mm -hmm. and then and the narrative the story that comes with that that we've not really questioned mm -hmm. and I wonder whether in a way this is this is what happened you know if people were looking at, at it the sort of people because I, I i recently had someone say to me um is your sabbatical a, your your way of having a um you know unpaid career and leaving the university have you had a midlife crisis mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so would you would you talk to that in terms of you know is that how we explain the oh we've we, you know because I feel like you know the other thing I was going to add is until recently I felt like I was using my head so intellectualizing mm -hmm. because I've been told that's what I need to use mm -hmm. I mean you know, I grew up in the country of Descartes um, mm -hmm. 
I think therefore I am right <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then survival your guts like mm-hmm. feeling oh my god mm-hmm. also being driven by that and mm-hmm. I didn't feel I was listening to my heart enough mm-hmm. I was like mm-hmm. constantly quieting it down mm-hmm. so sorry I've given you a lot but yeah I- no no and I think I just this is why I love talking to you Fabian it's just, just such richness in this I, there's two stories I'll tell here one is about salmon and one is about a picture I drew um, because I think both of them speak to what this journey has been in a, in a slightly alternative way to having a midlife crisis. Um, and I wasn't quite in my midlife when I was having this, this, this sort of awakening. Um, but the first one is a picture. So when I was doing all of this, um, this work, this, this self-work as well as this, this learning, um, and I was really deepening into an understanding of, of that process of unlearning that, that, that narrative shift. I sat for quite a few days and I drew this giant picture. I mean, I have a copy here, but we're on a podcast, so it's not much point in, in visually showing you, but I can share it with you. And I drew this picture of the journey, the journey. And I tried to draw the picture of the journey for the entire human civilization. So it was quite a big piece of paper I took. <laughs> and what I was drawing in this was the routes that we'd taken to become um, so disconnected, so separated from what life's kind of flourishing is all about. And in that I mapped some of those key points you mentioned, Descartes, there. I mapped the Enlightenment period. I mapped the, the early agricultural period, the early um, agricultural revolution, then the Enlightenment period, then the educational and, ag- and agricultural revolutions, the industrial revolutions. And from that picture, I just started to see this, this question that kept coming into me of enough where is enough on this journey that we're telling ourselves of success when does enough get reached and we think hurrah I've made it I am now happy I am now successful because in this narrative of ever increasing growth there is not enough Um, and so that picture allowed me then to go on another journey where I wrote a book and the book was called enough question mark exclamation mark full stop Um, because actually that those three (laughs) levels (laughs) what is enough question mark enough as in let's put the brakes on people because I think we're in in on on the way to a bit of a massive crisis here and then enough full stop in this sense of contentment of of finding that balance um and the the book was a catalyst for thought box I, I ended up kind of emerging out of that so that was one trigger with with that 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 question that that brought into my head but the second one is is salmon um, and I, I've been writing a little bit about this this summer because I actually was up in the highlands of Scotland watching for the first time ever watching salmon leap upstream. You know, I've, I've thought about and I've written about salmon before and, and it was meeting them firsthand this summer that's really highlighted this. Now, why am I talking about salmon? Well, this notion that you were just mentioning there about this whole body awareness, this deep listening into who we are and what we are. When I had this enlightenment awakening you know unlearning periods all I was feeling was joy it wasn't fear it wasn't confusion it was joy because it was almost like these layers were being stripped off me that had got in the way of what I knew deep down in my bones was innate and what had been shushed and quietened by so many of the stories around me now what's that got to do with salmon well when when salmon are birthed or when salmon are born they go through six stages I think of their evolution and at each of these stages they become a different being and there's six different names for them I'm afraid I don't remember many of them right now but at each parts of their of their evolution they they do something that that is just so ingrained into their DNA which feels quite crazy when you look at what they do and the bit that really strikes me with salmon is when they get to two years old something within them something deep within them suddenly turns themselves around and they swim upstream back to the source of where they were um, spawned to then spawn themselves and these this this image of these creatures battling upstream against the tide against the flow of the strong uh, kind of narrative if you like of the world to get to where they need to go because they're just listening to what is innate that's where I am. I have never felt more joy in listening in to that innate knowingness, even if it means hurling myself up against the waterfalls of the of the narratives of our mainstream society that are telling me, no, Rachel, you've got to go that way. It's not even a question for me anymore of like, do I really need to go that way? It's like, thank you very much, world, but no, I'm going this way because this is the way that I'm meant to go. And that's not just me, Rachel, 
saying that that's the way of us as, 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 as healthy humans being able to listen in to something that's not cognitive it's not even uh it's not even known in a in a, in a way that we can quantify it's a deep knowing in our dna of what it means to be a human on a finite planet in this world that we're living in and what it needs to step into joy um and so i use salmon for me as a like as a as a, a motivator almost you know having spent the summer watching these little beings literally hurl themselves up against this mighty waterfall with just immense kind of surety I was like yes that's that's where I am now um does that make any sense is that 100 percent I'm like yes I'm that salmon too like <laughs> yes 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 my goodness and this this whole so so again like the awakening that life force so the reason my the word i use is flourishing mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. because for me flourishing is this life force that we all have that like that literally got us to uh in in our mother's womb um grow fingers and and you know, kidneys and without mm. having to anybody telling us that we have to do that right mm -hmm. that's what I love about as a mum and I found it really humbling is when I feel I'm in charge of my of the two boys mm. I just go mm, really did you actually tell them when their, their their heart was growing or their kidney was growing you didn't you just held that space for them oh that's so right? beautiful that humility and that recognition though that's oh but it's it's really joyful in mm. that sense that mm. I all I did which is in effect that's how I realized that's what I do with the podcast mm -hmm. everything I do is about holding the space yeah yeah yeah. right that's like that holding mm -hmm. that space for that joyful construction or co-creation mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. we're doing right now mm -hmm. and I realized that you know and 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 um we were talking earlier on um obviously treasure who's, who's present here for this podcast and, and I earlier on about is it that what's happening also in terms of societal and an era because you were talking about you know from being tribal to then industrialization and you know our growth of like big industry is it that we're shifting as a society towards okay we've used our heads and our, our guts solely and we've not listened to our hearts and the heart is that quiet little voice that for me kept saying surely there must be a different way than educating this way that I kept going not now yeah great not now um, <laughs> until it was so loud that I couldn't ignore it and until you know really was thrown in my face by my son who said it's all great all your talk about flourishing about other adults and about other children but what about your own son, mum? Mm. Oh, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Oh, is what I felt that. Oh, it's like, okay, well, am I going to ignore that? And so I wonder whether there is also, because the life force is in all of us, like you said, so all of us individually are waking up mm -hmm. this mm -hmm whatever name I don't know you know mm. if you have a word for it the wisdom the you know innate life force you know the well-being is that that it's also all waking up in all of us and mm. so therefore are we going towards this change in our naturally anyway mm. I mean sorry I feel like I've I've said a lot here no isn't I just I just don't know where to go with this because there's so many little bits that are popping up in my head one is this is this quote I've written into every single notebook I've had since I was about 15 from Antoine de Saint-Supéry from The Little Prince, where he says, um, what is essential is invisible to the eye. It is only with one's heart that one can see clearly. And I always, I, I mean, I was an English nerd. I always loved that quote. And I didn't quite understand why I loved it until, you know, further on in this journey of like, what is essential is invisible to the eye. It's only with one's heart that one can see clearly. There's something about seeing and being and knowing that is, again, that innateness in us 
that our, our narratives of education in particular um, almost whip out of us from quite an early age and say, no, 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 knowledge and knowing comes through the mind. And what happens then is we shut down that, that, that quiet little voice. We shut down the deeper wisdom inside us in favor of a cognitive um, kind of consciousness. Um, and what that has done, and there's some beautiful work that we, we use quite significantly at Thoughtbox from Dr. Ian McGilchrist, who looks at the divided brain and the, the, the evolution of humans into this um, left hemisphere dominance. What we've done in that is we've shut down uh, our, our deeper connections with um, our whole body intelligence um, and the gut in particular. I'm really fascinated by the, the gut. I'm a woman who's always listened to my instincts and always listened to my intuition in favour of overriding my cognitive kind of brain and and I've never regretted it and and there's the times I've regretted it are when I haven't listened <laughs> because I've just felt nervous of oh I'm about to make a big decision but I should think about it more and then I've gone against what I I knew was the decision to make and I've regretted it and, and I, I ask that question a lot to people and they always agree that they've regretted when they've not listened to the gut but what education has done is that they've shushed that and they, in favor of, of proof of, of everything what I'm really excited about um, in this in this world that we're in, of, of helping us to really tap into what is what is in all of us and what we 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 can help ourselves to do by listening. We are now, through the magic of neuroscience, being able to prove the wisdom of this innate knowing. So again, at Thoughtbox, what we're really helping educators to look at is how modern cutting-edge neuroscience is now proving ancient indigenous wisdom shows and what natural system flourishing gives us so we can whatever way we look at it wherever we choose to to, to find our, our truth it's all saying the same thing that life is all about this whole being this whole intelligence um, and I can talk more about that later but the other thing that just came in, into my head there in terms of where we're at right now is this need to shift away from an education or a narrative really in society that's a telling, that tells us what success is all about, that tells us what um, achievement is all about, that tells us what we need to know, instead towards a narrative of enabling and allowing. And those two words are really at the foundation of my life and the work that we're doing, to be enabling and allowing individuals, uh, schools, educators, communities to flourish. So when we're thinking about permaculture practices and we're thinking about gardening, a, a wise gardener knows that if they focus their attention on the soil conditions, then everything they plant into that soil will naturally flourish. But if they ignore the soil and they're kind of continually shoving things into unhealthy soil and just overwatering them or over pruning them or over prodding them and expecting them to flourish, they, they won't get anywhere. And so the invitation is to stop doing two and instead to enable and allow each of those individuals to, to become. Um, and the other thing, and forgive me if, I, if I'm going too far on a tangent on this one, so pull me back. The other thing no, that- no, it's, it's perfect. It's obviously very clearly where it needs to go. So Okay. okay. The other thing that, that feeds into this narrative of where, um, certainly where I've arrived with the work of Thoughtbox and arrived in my own life, is what I would call, or I do call, the butterfly to caterpillar effect of our mainstream education systems. How, when you think about um, children, little children, little children are born with this innate sense of connection, of feeling deeply connected to their emotional intelligence, wisdom, the whole body intelligence. They know how they feel and they're very vocal about it. You know, children know when they're tired, they're hungry, they're grumpy, they're sad, they will tell us. Little children are innately connected to each other, that sense of deep connection as a social being, that we are part of, of, of social fabrics, we're deeply connected, we don't see difference, we don't see equality, we are just connected. And that deep connection that little children have to the natural world, that deep fascination, that deep love of everything that's around us. And that, that, that notion of being like butterflies, when we see children beginning their education journey, they are flitting and floating and joyfully dancing around learning. Learning is, is, is life. That, that, that word that I think for many parents is the bane of their life of why 
is the most magical world because it's a world full of curiosity and engagement and inspiration and awe and wonder. And children are full of that word because they're open wide to the beauty and the possibility of life. So I see that that notion of butterflies when, when we have children going into school. And I call it the butterfly to caterpillar effect of education, because what happens over a period of time is that total joy and openness to life and living and connectivity is slowly, gradually cocooned into this sluggish narrative of um, conformity, of competition, of compliance, of regulation, of um, linear thinking. Yeah, sorry, I can see your reaction. <laughs> It like makes me feel really icky and like making me feel like I'm shrinking. It's like, sorry. <laughs> it is. It's that shrinking of a self to fit into a mold of, of, of success in inverted commas. And what we're doing there is literally clipping the wings uh, of each of those individual beings to, to fit into the, into the net of then the world that we're casting out. And, um, and that is not the fault of the educators it's not the fault of the parents it's not the fault of the children it's the fault of the system but in a way the system is working wonderfully because the education system in, in its in its kind of construct was designed to create a factory force <laughs> to go into the into the factories and to actually create this conformity this compliance this regulated system of 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 individuals being no longer individual, but just being a kind of robotic system. So the system is actually working really well. Um, we need to perhaps think, is that the right system for us? And actually is a system that hurts rather than helps most people in it, really a system that we want to be continuing and, and actually is a system that, that clips the wings of all those beautiful beings that we're bringing into the world, really a system that we want to be perpetuating and yes, that's a hugely inconvenient kind of range of questions. And yet, let's listen to the wisdom in, in asking those questions, because I think I can ask most people, what's the point of school? And actually, when you really start to think about it, the answers are, are quite hard to justify, because the, the point might be one thing, but the outcome is a completely different thing. And I, and I find sometimes these visuals of, of seeing in a very simple way. I perhaps have a little simple mind sometimes to just bring big ideas back down to earth, but having these little visuals of seeing what that looks like in reality, of thinking, do we really want to put all of our butterflies into, into caterpillars? Helps to actually understand perhaps the bigger picture of what we're doing here. Um, and I love this visual because one of the driver of the podcast and the question is that it is the question that I kept asking myself whilst I was managing the language provision for a big university, loads of students and working with a team of 13 and watching my two boys being schooled. And I kept going, surely there must be a different way because what I'm seeing here is, is, is the reason I see what I see with, you, with young adults at university, yeah. right? Yeah. So surely there must be a different way. And, and also the, um, the unlearning and the difficulty of that unlearning, almost like re-sprouting those wings, right? Yeah. yeah. And the challenge that represents mm -hmm. and the time money and space it requires surely we don't need to clip their wings and what happens if we if that's what i want like right so like one question is like can we change how we educate and parents so our children remain those butterflies yeah and there's something in that again the reason i get so joyful about this 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 work is it's not it's not a new thing that we're doing it's not an add-on it's not an addition it's not something we have to learn it's something we have to remember all of the answers all of the wisdom all of the narratives that we need to, for flourishing we have inside each of us we have it there it's like you just said there that the wings just need unclipping but the other bit that brings me joy in terms of education is what happens if we never forget what happens if we don't have to go in an unlearning journey? We just simply don't have our wings clipped in the first place. So whichever angle I look at it, there's great joy because the answers are in us and the direction is clear if we're brave enough to allow those wings to stay wide open. And for anyone who, who is engaged with children, who, who has been a part of seeing that innateness, that innate joy of life, 
or any of us who can remember how we felt when we were given that freedom to just be will really appreciate that that is the magic of life that is the that is what it's all about just enabling and allowing life to flourish and as you were saying so beautifully when you were talking about your child as you're birthing them as you're growing them inside you you're not consciously doing that you have created within you the conditions to enable and allow that life to grow and and I get so excited at springtime when I look around the world and look at like a tree that is just sticks knowing that inside that stick is this beginning of life and that's that tree is doing nothing other than enabling allowing each of those buds to to burst to, to flourish to become and that notion of becoming is so innate in our DNA. We don't need anyone to tell us what it is. We just need somebody to get out of the way and allow us to know what is in us. Um, now, that that seems like a wafty, lovely idea when you suddenly think, but, but how do you do that? <laughs> uh, and that's the work is how do we remember what it, is, it means to just allow life to flourish? And that feels quite scary, I think, to many people because we've... We've told ourselves we need systems, we need regulation, we need authority, we need, um, you know, autonomy, we need proof, rather than we need trust, we need wisdom, we need integrity, we need humility, we need collaboration. Um, and yet, lockdown was very powerful for so many people to actually think, hmm, is the world I'm living in or is the life I'm living really making me well? Is this really what I want to be doing for the next 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years? Is there not another way of, of, of living? And so many people have acted on that little voice. And so many are now allowing these questions to become um, sort of a, a conversation. Yes, and it's that sort of like those narratives. So there's two things that have popped up that I'd love us to explore. The first one is um, to remember and I, it, so, so hands up, I used to believe that I'd be the hero who's going to save the, and change the face of education. Mm. Many um, of us have been there. So don't, put, let's put our hands up together. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it makes me now smile and, and, and I just take it lightly in the sense that, okay, yeah, I recognize that. And so a lot of the thing I see in terms of the of, of the, the change in terms of the system, right? This what the system is doing is this drive. Mm -hmm. So there seems to be, you know, you were talking about the little stick, um, you know, that is going to become this, you know, or like the potential in the in the acorn to become mm -hmm. this beautiful, strong oak tree mm -hmm. that we don't need. It's already in its DNA and we don't need mm -hmm. to to do anything other than give it the space for it to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I see in mainstream that we we it's almost like we putting that stick on steroid <laughs> to make it sprout and grow quicker and faster mm -hmm. and so i was talking to my friends yesterday about drive for mm. self-actualization or like that innate life force mm -hmm. because so far i'm really conscious that in our conversation we have used nature as our metaphor and our guiding you know, mm -hmm. to guide our metaphors and our imagery. Mm -hmm. And if we look at nature, nature naturally allows for mm -hmm. all the different plants and trees and animals to be, right? Mm -hmm. It's not putting, unless I'm mistaken, but I can't see like steroids happening, like where you just suddenly ask the, the, the chicken to grow faster and bigger than they need to be. Mm -hmm. And so... I'd love you to, to tell me what your thoughts are on that. Like when I see so many young, like particularly teenagers who are, who are being driven and so like, you know, I need the next thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people say, but, you know, some of us are more driven than others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's what something to that. There's something in that as well. I just want to like reverse that back to when you were talking about acorns. Um, so, 
it's just making me think of this workshop I did with some 11 year olds that, that I just got so joyful about because we were talking about um, the, the acorn and inside that acorn is an oak tree and it becomes and then nature again gives it conditions to become an acorn, sorry, to become an oak tree. But, um, but what we were saying is sometimes and quite often actually in life, and I was using my wording carefully because they were 11 year olds and I, and I was trying to gently welcome them into this space. We were saying oftentimes in life, we're told, even though we know we're an acorn, you're going to be a plum tree. You're going to be an avocado tree or you need to be actually more. It's, it's more. You need to be an oak tree. But and but but hang on. Aren't I, aren't I an avocado or aren't I a peach or aren't I a plum or aren't I a hawthorn? No, no, no. You're an oak. You're an oak. And we're all going to be oaks. And here's how to be an oak. And I think that's what is happening. It's like not just the steroids, but actually they're not even allowing that innateness of who we are and that diversity of who we are to flourish. And so I just remember at the end of this workshop, everybody walking out and they were saying, I'm an avocado tree. I'm a plum tree. And it was like this little mini kind of revolution happening in the school. We were like, really, let's let's think, who are we? And let's hold on to that. If everybody's telling you to be an avocado or, you know, an oak tree, I think, right, what, which one am I really? And, and hold on to that. Um, so there's something in that notion of, of growth, because it's not just growing into the strongest version, the biggest, the best version. It's also making us grow into something that we're not. <laughs> and, and, a sort of, and it's not allowing diversity. It's not it's not celebrating the, the, the need for an ecosystem of diversity and the need for that reciprocity and the need for that collaboration. And again, exactly as you're saying there, there's such wisdom in, in the natural world, recognizing first that we are nature. I think that's so much of this work and that's such an inconvenient thought for so many people. What, what we're, we're just a, a species, we're just the same as a, you know, there's a lovely slide I use in a lot of workshops that shows that we've got 70%, um, you know, DNA match with a mouse and with 50 or 60% banana. Um, and, and people quite like that, but also get terrified by that because it's just, we've elevated ourselves arrogantly. But that notion of, of, of endless growth again in the education system, pulling people away from what's innate, making them the best version, the strongest version. But the biggest flaw that I think not many of us actually ever allowed ourselves to question when we're in it. And I, I recognize there is a privilege I've had in leaving the system to be able to then look more objectively and, and kind of overarchingly at it. The recognition that the, the biggest flaw in education is 30% are going to fail before they even start. So in an average school, in an average classroom, in an average country, for example, in the UK, we have GCSEs. There are not 100% of A stars to hand out. There is only a certain number of A's and A stars to hand out, and then a certain number of B's to hand out, which means that no matter how hard you try, you are always going to be on a ladder of, of value. And so 30% of you will always have to get the failures. Um, and so as a system, it's in just before we even start. Um, so not only are we saying metaphorically, let's pump you all with steroids to get you to be the biggest, strongest oak tree that you can be. But by the way, when you've, when you've done that, a third of you will just be felled <laughs> because yeah. you don't fit in the forest. You're um, not going to be a good enough oak tree anyway no, because there's no. much be better, bigger. Better oak tree. So you can, you, you can try for the next 11 years. But you'll always be second place um, because um, and actually we only want the first place, by the way. So, you know, spend all this time pretending to be something you're not and then we'll reject you at the end of it. Um, and actually, that's a horrific thing to say out loud. And when I say it, my body is just reacting. I can feel my blood just sort of tingling. And yet that is that is the system. Um, and it's painful. It's painful for me to to not only have been a part of that and to have been perpetuating that, but to know how many, how many butterflies are trapped in it and how many of us as educators are perpetuating it through no fault of our own, through no desire to be doing this, through simply doing what we think is right and supporting education, because we've got such a strong narrative of the value of education in our world. And absolutely, education is one of the most powerful tools, if that's the right word, out there. But education doesn't just happen in a textbook and in a classroom. Education is constant and continuous and is happening all around us. So there's, 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 a, lot of, there's a lot of uncomfortableness in this work that, that means that many just will block their ears or close their eyes because it requires us to stand back a little bit and reflect, coming back to that unlearning, reflect on where we may have journeyed 
in a, in a way that isn't good for us. Um, yeah, and I think what came up for me now is like also sometimes it's easier to to not to go la 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 and oh, to yeah. not see, refuse yeah. to see and hear because yeah. actually you know so so all the imagery you use I I I in in all of my writing about flourishing I sort of talk about in the sense that I always say you know who are you in this garden called life mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. if you're a, a an orchid or a lily plant rather than a climbing you know rose bush then the conditions you need will be different as well yeah. right yeah. um but if we are not flourishing if we're in survival that and that's part of that's part of the question that I had for you. The next question, so you've beautifully taken me there. Um, thank you. Is that if we adults have not unclipped our wings mm -hmm. and we've not had have give have been given, you know, for like you said, for no fault of ours because we're on that hamster wheel going, going, mm -hmm. we've not had the space, the time, or you know any of the financial stability to be able to take to to, to pause and reflect mm -hmm. then that means that it's very difficult when you're languishing to care mm -hmm. about anybody else mm -hmm. right yeah yeah so so the, the question I had for you is and I heard partly when you were talking about being an individual salmon sort of mm -hmm. going up mm -hmm. is that is the way forward first for every single individual to focus on unclipping their own wings and making mm -hmm. sure they're flourishing um and i and i don't want it to be an either or is it an and both i mean i don't know i'm just sort yeah. of trying to make no and this really thank you because this this really speaks to again the foundations of where um where this work has landed that i'm involved in and where just all the the avenues of research and wisdom that i've i've learned from has landed the notion of this need to focus on our ecological self and what does that mean okay so what we've used in terms of the languaging at thoughtbox is this framework of triple well-being so let me just take a step back. I'm answering the question, but I might meander to, to get to the, to the actual point. So, um, for example, a lot of us are very aware of the climate crisis and a lot of us are wanting to act and are being frustrated why people are not doing more and being frustrated where the blocks are coming. A lot of us are very conscious of the so-called social injustices that are growing in our communities and, and want to act and are being, again, frustrated by the, the, the lack of action happening. And yet we're also seeing an ever-increasing mental health pandemic sweeping us off our feet. So there is need to be um, aware in each of ourselves and as a, as a kind of collective that we cannot have the capacity and the strength to, to, to focus on healing the bigger fractured systems if our own sense of resilience is, is low. And our own sense of resilience is low if we are being part of a system where our wings are clipped and our nourishment is, 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 is undernourished and our capacity to thrive is, is, is so limited. We are in survival mode. We are literally in that get up, get through the day and, and, and get, get, get ready for the next day of, of this survival. Um, and um, we talk a lot at Thoughtbox about this move from just surviving to actively thriving because the just surviving is where so many of us are at, but we're on a treadmill and it will just continue in a just surviving space until we understand the need to shift towards a, thri a thriving state. So what we're really supporting in this, in this narrative, and I, and I say we, we're a conduit. This, this, we haven't come up with any of this. This is just looking and, and learning and listening and sharing and putting into different stories. We've come up with, you know, with a framework of, of triple well-being, which it really says that we cannot be well if the planet is sick, but we cannot support the health and well-being of the planet if we're sick ourselves. And so actually there's a need to be focusing on health and well-being in all three levels of this framework. Well-being for ourselves, our personal, social, emotional and, and spiritual well-being. Well-being of each other, recognising that we need each other to be well, for us to be well. And well-being for the natural world, the more than human world that we're a part of. Recognising that we, we need to have the forests, the oceans, the rivers healthy for us to be healthy and that these are not and cannot be separated we cannot focus just on one and ignore the others but we might need to focus more attention on one to strengthen ourselves up to be then working in the others so coming back to this survival mode 
what I'm really um, appreciating in terms of supporting a, a, a kind of practical way through this is coming back to this neuroscience of what, what we're now being able to show is happening in us, which is feeding some of this survival state. And we use a lot of the work of Dr. Stephen Porges and the polyvagal theory, um, a lot of interpersonal neurobiology from Dan Siegel and a lot of work in terms of the neuroscience of well-being um, from Richard Davidson. All of these showing that our bodies, our, our central nervous systems are in this very highly stressed state because of um, the symptoms of collapse that we're all living through. But we can call it the pandemic. We can call it social um, inequalities. We can call it the cost of living. We can call it the climate crisis. Whatever's going on, we're in this high levels flight, fight, fight, flight, free state. And so our body, our physiological state is actually perpetuating the survival mode because we are high level cortisol, high level adrenaline, ready to fight or flight or freeze for all the stresses that we're facing, which means that the idea of flourishing is not given a look in because we've just got to get through it. And what I think this neuroscience is really helping to, to do is to name that in a way that is perhaps understandable with a cognitive mind, because we can see what that looks like. And then it's allowing us to feel that. So again, it's this deepening of like, okay, I can see why that makes sense. Let me just listen in a little bit to my body and think, oh yes, I have got that, you know, IBS, or I have got that high heart rate, or I am not sleeping at night, or I have got, you know, spots from anxiety. Where we can start to see the symptoms in ourselves. And then we can go, oh, actually I can feel the symptoms around me as well and so there's something again I don't just feel that there's a luxury for some of us to get to understand this I feel it's a it's more in allowing us to look at what we're, we're in but the bit that I'm very energized by is that it's not just wake up to this and then think oh blimey now what it's then tapping into what we can do to move towards a healthier horizon um, and that first step is awareness um, and so, again, the other framework that we use at Thoughtbox, which, again, is not something we've come up with, we just use the language, is, is conscious care. Conscious care. So the first step in any of us moving from survival to thrival is being conscious, being aware of what isn't helping us to thrive or where we're not feeling that we're thriving, of what where we are in this fight, fight, freeze zone. However that comes, it might just be that we're not sleeping, whatever that, that recognize, recognizing and being aware of something. And then caring for it. So that care space is an active verb. We're not just saying, oh, there, there, Rachel. Sorry, you're not sleeping, but you know, you will do one day. We're doing something active about that. So how can I care for myself? How can I care for others? And how can I care for the more than human world? So that that narrative of conscious care is then the active awareness to be doing something on a very personal level first, and then then more and more as we can allow ourselves to give to others to be shifting away from that survival to that um, thrival state. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. So in the second edition of the Flourishing Education book, a uh, Flourishing Student, I wrote at the end the need for that systemic change. Mm -hmm. And I talk about the, at the me, we and us levels, mm -hmm. exactly like you describe it in the sense of there's a need. And, and, and I really want to thank you because through this, conversation you've helped me really understand something that I wasn't understanding before so so much gratitude it's like the ah I get it the, well I heard you say and correct me if I again it's my subjectivity so I'm going to play it back to you to to see if uh, this very often what I was struggling and a lot of the pushback I get in my work is when people are languishing or, or in survival, they say, no, no, sort out my environment and I'll be fine. And then the environment or the institution is saying, no, sort out the individual mm. and then we'll be fine. Right. So it's that mm -hmm. because it's very mechanical and it's like seeing things in isolation. Yeah. Yeah. You've made me realize through our conversation that actually, because it's systemic and it's ebb and flow, I mean, the last few days for me have been massive ups, like up, but then down and then up and yeah. down, right? Because that's part of being human. Yeah. Um, and so in that same vein, 
some days I might need to have more conscious care for myself and I might need to fill up my cup and put the oxygen mask on but other days my cup is full so I can pour and give more to the other plants yeah is that what I've heard you say completely and again it's not either or it's and you know and and, and being kind with ourselves when we have got capacity to be a radical activist and go out and do a huge amount of work we just need to have a have a sit down (laughs) and actually that that is radical compassion um and 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 I think that 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 beautifully as you just said there that ebbing and flowing of that dance between between all three of those layers of of, you know at some point we have more resilience we have more capacity to give and some days we don't and that's not a critique and it's not a lack of it's just a nourishment of where where that nourishment is needed and where we've got enough in us to give that nourishment yeah amazing oh my god this is so amazing um and i could i am really conscious of your time so i could talk to you for ages and forever likewise i'm just really enjoying the, the questions and the conversations meandering so we'll we'll keep going off yes off. we and we'll um and maybe have more conversations i can re-invite you to, on the podcast and, oh, and share right. more um there's two two things i'd love us to explore uh before i before we finish first one is I always ask my guests now um if our listeners are really interested and they're thinking okay what sort of where where do I go first mm-hmm. um what would you recommend besides like the film you mentioned and you know is there a book you would recommend people read yes Active Hope by Joanna Macy um and Chris uh, Robertson Robertson no that's not his name oh my goodness I can't remember his name that's terrible Rachel Active hope. Anyway, um, fine. you can you can give me the details. I'll give you the details book. later. Yes. Yeah, the yeah. reason okay. I love this book. So it's it's a process that we use that I use in my life that we use throughout Thoughtbox that we've really built throughout all of our trainings and workshops. It, it's um, meeting the world as it is and seeing the pain and moving through it towards a healthier horizon to towards to quote Charles Eisenstein, the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible. And active hope is a process of action. It's not just, oh, I hope it'll all get better, but I'll just sit here and wait for that to happen. No, no, no. It's recognizing that we do need to do something, again, with this conscious care. But what active hope does is it really allows um, us to, to learn to be brave enough to look, because that's part of this, to be brave enough to look at what's going on around us and see it and see that actually something bigger than myself isn't helping me to be well and then to move beyond it so it's a it's a gentle but very um supportive book um I mean there's so many there's there's, there's loads of things that, that I could recommend but that's a really good starting point in terms of uh, I have it a little bit as a bible almost um and there's different versions of of this for different people's interests and again I'll send you a little list because I'm I'm an English teacher and I, I I love books and I also really love how you can tell a story in lots of different languages not just literal languages but different mediums so I I, I would recommend a storybook that sort of shares the same ideas and a poem that shares the same ideas and a non-fiction so I can give you a little selection of, of that would be amazing and I I thank you because the other thing I was going to say but then I thought with the time we don't have time is the other thing you've made me realize is the reason I do what I do with like holding the space and shining the light on individuals it's to do with narratives so that to unclip our wings we need to hear the story from different people and we may not resonate in the same way that you described so beautifully for me to be able to say that mm. it's like well some of us will resonate with a poem some yes. some of us will resonate with a mm. film or mm. you know and it's yeah. the same with all the amazing individuals like yourself with like thought box and other things is that to hear the message to hear that to remember yeah. we may need to hear the story from different people yeah. and that is the joy and again it's, it's something that I'm so grateful to you for for highlighting in your podcast is that we're, we're kind of all telling the same story. We're just telling it in different ways. And, and again, it brings me just great excitement when I meet someone else doing the work in a, in a similar or different way. Because I'm like, yes, this is what we need. We need more of us um, coming together and, and almost mapping out where these stories are so that each of us, no matter what it is that motivates us, we can find our own journey into that. So again, thank you for having that, um, that, that, that grace and wisdom to sort of bring all these different um, 
ideas uh, it, it's, it's a co-creation and I love it because you've just beautifully showed me how to do it and for the listeners we now have the window cleaner cleaning the windows <laughs> if you hear something in the background that's what it is well I've also got a raucous children I live right next door to a primary school and they're at playtime at the minute so it's one of the most joyful noises for me is like it's hearing the butterflies basically every day because it's a little, awesome. little primary school. yeah really lovely so um yeah, so if you've heard that noise, it should have gone because obviously he's moved on to another window, which is perfect. And to finish and wrap up, Rachel, um, for our listeners, if there was one thing you would want them to take from this conversation, what would it be for you? Listen, listen to your inner salmon. <laughs> um, I think there's there's something in that you know or maybe whatever that is there's something in the niggly bit inside you that I really welcome you to listen to and and just to give a little bit that I I, I learned recently which I, I I use a lot in our trainings um, neuroscience again has really helped to understand what's going on in the gut brain and that there are a hundred thousand neurons in the gut brain all kind of actively working with this sort of inner intelligence that's as many um cells nerve cells as there are in a cat's brain and what that means is your gut has the same level of intelligence as a cat and cats are really intelligent beings so when you've got that little voice inside you that you're going shh, shh actually don't shush it just just listen to it because it's as intelligent uh, as a cat which is, is intelligent and it's telling you something so yeah that that little bit of listening into the gut and, and recognizing that's your inner salmon wanting to come come out um, I love it. Listen to your understanding. <laughs> That's going to be the title of this podcast. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rachel. What a pleasure. Oh, pleasure's all mine. Thank you so much for these conversations. It's been a delight. Yeah, thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please don't hesitate to get in touch with me with any comments or questions you may have. You can find me on Twitter at Flourishing HE or on LinkedIn at Fabian Vales. Please also like this podcast as it's helping me promote it and don't hesitate to share widely with your friends and family. Thank you so much for listening and for your support.